Welcome to the Getting the Deal Done podcast series. I'm John Martinka. My special guest today is Malcolm Peace. He's based out of Austin, Texas. He's with Tessera Growth Partners, and he has an interesting background, which he will share companies he has bought and the value he has added to them and tips on how others can add value. So welcome, Malcolm. Hey, thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. Well, let's just start with a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I am a first-generation American, born and raised in Austin, Texas. I love Texas in a lot of ways. Uh, And candidly, both my parents came to America from South Africa, originally from the border of Mozambique and Zimbabwe. They were both born in Harare, um, multiple generation in uh, Southern Africa and the region, and came to America with the hopes and dreams of entrepreneurship. My dad started with import-export businesses, and my mom was in the early days of the dot-com stuff. Uh, She still does that today. My dad um, is a CFO at a uh, recovery center here in the Texas Hill Country, runs all of their uh, facilities on the financial side. Um, And so entrepreneurship is is just in my blood. And um, I took a different path, played some college tennis for some time and and spent some time in the college tennis world. And then really, you know, candidly, you know, six, seven years ago, wanted to transition out to a different space and Never looked back. I love small business and I love being in Austin and I'm just happy to be able to share my story about that. Okay. So you tell us about the uh, couple companies that you own. Yeah. So Sincera Growth Partners was built on the premise that we were going to buy blue collar industrial type businesses in Texas and add software and standard operating procedures to them. One of the things that I found over the years getting started in this space as I was doing minority partnership deals with a couple partners in the hospitality, food and beverage deals. So we were looking at um, hospitality deals from a buying a bed and breakfast and adding extra facilities to it to do uh, weddings and corporate retreats and other things of that nature, way more B2C consumer side of things. Um, And then shifted that while I was still working with them to buying businesses or looking at deals within food distribution, food processing, And what I found as we started exploring uh, more B2B type businesses is that the sophistication within businesses doing three to $12 million in revenue is quite low. Uh, And that's not to knock the business owner that is doing that currently. It's just a different skill set. And candidly, all props to anybody that can take a business that's from zero in revenue to a million to $3 million in revenue, because I think that is the hardest phase of a business. You are the all hands all the time. And you're begging people to get on the ship with you, often at a lower than market rate value of their time. Um, and so I, you know, when I'm looking at the ecosystem of businesses out there, I think our skill set at Sitsera really balances well for that business owner that's looking, you know, maybe they've done well over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, but is looking for someone to come in and take their business to that next future level um, by adding software that interacts with one another, adds data. Um, management and uh, readouts and things of that nature, and then simultaneously create a pathway where there's standard operating procedures, meaning we document everything. Um, And a lot of the time, those documents, although they would have um, been beneficial to the owner, they are often somehow digitally in their minds or in those key employees that have been there forever. um, and uh, And nothing is standardized from that matter. So Anyways, that's what we do. That's what we highly focus on. So we're always buying and looking at businesses in Texas that have been around longer than 10 years and are there to add that next level of sophistication to them. 
So what, what kind of companies have you bought? Yeah, so we look at manufacturing companies. So we bought one here in this locked October. It's in South Texas. Uh, we've done looked at construction companies as well. We own a few bed and breakfast um, partnerships in that and ultimately are looking to close another one this year. We're having a few under close watch. Oh, let's put it that way. So okay. um, my my hope is um, we close another one this year. We I independently started doing deals um, really at the middle part, uh, right when COVID kind of broke out. I was doing these minority partnership deals. I thought that was the pathway um, I owned within restaurants and hospitality businesses. And candidly, when COVID hit out, we kind of looked at the thesis and said, you know, how can we do this a little bit differently? How can we go take control? And um, yeah, so that was our transition point. Okay. So, you know, I've I've heard a lot of people say, well, we can improve productivity and use technology. Give us a few concrete examples of what you've done in, you know, and especially the manufacturing type businesses that have... uh, uh, have aided the company and uh, and its profitability. Yeah, um, a lot of businesses, I would say, already have the data. Um, one thing that was super impactful for me um, in years past is I, got, I was able to tour one of the distribution centers for Amazon. And one of the things that they do is they monitor every single data point, how long someone's been standing there, how long it takes them to move packages and so on and so forth, that it really informed our decision when we make um it informed our practice, I should say, on how we make decisions. And what I mean by that is we often take what is already there, whether it be the quotes from the last four years, which is a real story. We take the last four quotes of the last year and we look at, okay, where are they going to? What's our hit rate? All this type of information and say, okay, what can we make from an inference perspective to make better decisions moving forward? And so we take all that data, we index all of the own, all of the people that we uh, quoted to and say, okay, we're hitting in these regions really well. We're having to give this kind of discount in order to get the deal across the table. And candidly, by the time we sold and the time that we actually issued a serial number for this machine, how long did it take? Is it really realistic for us to turn this out in two months? No, hold on a second. It's actually more realistic for us to do it in four to six months. Let's be let's be wise about how we stack our um, sale process moving forward. So that's a real world example. We took the last four years of quotes, and we started indexing them to better understand, put them into a CRM, then took them from that perspective and said, okay, if we dissect these out to regions, where are the first ones that are low-hanging fruit? They're English-speaking regions, because if we ship internationally, that's a big component from our Salesforce perspective. And also, is there areas where we've never touched before, but we've quoted in the past, meaning that we've never gotten a sale done? And so making those informed decisions and being able to take the prospects moving forward in a more um, thoughtful manner. Okay. Have you done anything like that on the production side? Yeah. So scheduling production. So one of the companies that we own, we manufacture quite large um, sorting equipment and um, stainless steel USDA grade sorting equipment. And in that, we often are struggling to meet deadlines because they come different departments, obviously, just as any manufacturing facility, manufacture or facilitate the um, the arrangement of different parts in order to bring it to the next stage. And so when we're looking at just lead times that we commit to the customer, as well as backup and bottlenecks, that's a big component. So one of the things that we went into quickly is, okay, what is when we purchase or we sell, I should say, and we have to purchase inventory if we don't have it on hand, 
And we've, we've worked through that process of what kind of inventory we need to have it as a minimum from a lead time perspective, but really, really scheduling that out and saying, okay, if we know that there's some seasonality to this business, because our customers have some seasonality to their process, how does it look for us to be able to plan out our purchase of inventory, as well as the actual fabrication and manufacturing side in order to better facilitate a equal balance across the shop um, is a big part of what we're trying to do. And so some of that is, hey, we got to look at how do we outsource this? How do we look to take these pieces that we typically did in-house? That's not really where we make our money. Let's go take that outside and find that it actually frees up better use time um, within, the, within the actual facility. Okay. Okay. So as you look at businesses, uh, what kind of holes do you look for and what gets so what gets you excited about a company? Yeah, this is going to sound really uh, negative potentially, but it's just the reality. I oh, yeah. love sitting in a meeting with a business owner when I hear that the business owner is mm -hmm. the center of the business, but yet I can look around and see all the key employees and know that they're more than capable of doing the work that they need to do. Now, there's always learning that goes on um, in the process of taking the key employees and really letting them own their role and own their space. However, most of these small businesses, because it's a, just a different skill set to take you from zero to $3 million, a lot of information, a lot of decision-making passes through the owner, and they often are the bottleneck from allowing this business to grow. And what we do is we say, okay, literally day one to day 100, we have a plan to basically facilitate a moving from owner in the middle, centralized business around the owner to a decentralized business. And often in these businesses, they don't have even an org chart. So we start putting together an org chart and say, here's the defined role. Here's what it looks like. We need to have somebody that reports to you because you're often just doing too much or you're not working on the correct things or you're working on what I like to call $10 tasks. And we need to move you to something else where you're focused on these things and we can actually allow you to own that space a little bit more. So share all that to say, I get super excited when I'm sitting in, you know, pre-LOI, post-LOI, and I find that the business owner is very much in the middle of the business and the business is capable of operating without them in the middle. That gets me excited. And, and candidly, I think most business owners would gladly hand things over, but for one reason or another, they're unable to. And so I get excited about that prospect. I can relate to that. Uh, I've got a client I think I've done five projects for over the years. And a while back, you know, he, he says, you know, we should be doing better. And we had done an acquisition and done something else together. And, you know, I went in, I analyzed, I met with employee groups, I met the management team and came back with exactly what you said. The bottleneck was everything had to pass through the owner, through across his desk. Yep. And we got him to delegate. And within a year and a half, uh, profits quintupled. Big, <laughs> That's awesome. The biggest complaint he got was from his people who said, well, no, you're delegating. I got more to do. I said, well, teach them how yeah. to delegate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's what we do. So full disclosure, we hire a lot of virtual assistants and specialty folks overseas and around the world. Philippines is a big one of them. I have other folks around the world. Um, and and candidly, like all, that's what I call a $10 task. If it can be outsourced overseas for a rate lower than the rate I'm currently paying that person, it has to be done. And I am religious about making that happen within our team. Um, it just has to. 
it's not scalable to for for someone to be dealing with little things. And candidly, it's not scalable for me to have to constantly teach the next person how to do something. And so ultimately giving that jurisdiction. And I think that's where speaking to my point earlier, that's where documentation becomes incredibly important um, because sometimes it happens, right? You hire somebody overseas or locally and they transition out for one reason or another when you after you buy a business. And, um, you know, maybe that they don't like the way that the style of the new ownership is or they don't like um, the direction of the company or it's just sometimes a little more intense than they were used to. And so um, we always document and try to get all that knowledge out of the head um, from the owner and also from the employees and key people. OK, so as you looked at as you looked at companies, you continue to look at companies and you can get into a little later how, you know, you companies with helping an operator get them. On the scale of use of technology, and I doubt there's any zeros. Zeros would mean they're still using a paper bookkeeping system and stuff like that to 100. Is there as tech savvy and uh, proficient with it as possible? Um, but where where do you see most of these companies? You know, I guess the bottom end might be really be we use QuickBooks and that's about it to all the way up. What do you uh, see? Um, I would say the vast majority are using QuickBooks and some sort of accounting software, that's it, full stop. 80%, um, maybe, um, just that. I have been in circumstances where I looked at a business um, in San Antonio, and they were, uh, it's hard to describe on camera, but they were taking two sheets of paper and like maneuvering it in such a way to determine their daily pricing on what they were producing. Um, and it, it was it was quite, a, quite an experience, you know, respectfully, incredibly smart people running their business. Um, however, just antiquated processes that would always have to be retaught and always have to be explained. And there was no way for someone to step in and some, to some extent, understand what's going on. Um, and all that to be said, you know, being able to think forward, being able to make informed decisions was impossible. It was moment by moment based on you know whatever information they were trying to determine at that time and so i've seen that um and i've seen people you know from there to doing the right things just not doing it scalably where we looked at a a box manufacturing company about a year ago um really wish we could close on that business he's held out he doesn't want to sell just yet so shout out to that guy uh, but you know if that were to take place like one of the things he does really really well is he goes in grassroots markets to people by scouring through um, different sites and, and databases to be able to figure out who's a prospect that they could go to. Now, the way he does it is it's manual and it's like key employees looking through these sites to find contact information and then send out 10 to 15, which I would love to do like 100 to 150 on a regular basis from a marketing side of things because they had the capacity. And so he had the right ideas he just didn't have any software that can currently do that, where it automates low code, no card, connecting it with Sapier and connecting it with other platforms similarly to be able to take that information, strip it from the website and plug it right into a database and just immediately put it into the marketing system. And so that's what we do. We, we use automation and I've got a team that I've been using for the last three years. We come in, we immediately assess what can we scrape? What can we, uh, what can we pull in automatically and what can we charge, you know, basically charge out into the world to be able to go churn up business as soon as possible. And I like the analogy I've always used, it's called a plumber analogy. Every time I had an issue with my house, any kind of plumbing situation, they pushed air or they pushed water down and they found the leak. 
that's what we do. We push sales. We push as much as, as that we can down the hole and we figure out where the weak points are. In some cases, it's just we can't produce at that rate. If we were to turn up, you know, a lot more, we've got an issue because this one piece that people have been okay with for all number of years, we haven't been able to transition to a more effective process. And so anyways, that's what I always look at when from a software perspective. If I was going to double sales, true sales, sold sales through this process, where would it break down? And nine times out of 10, 80%, somewhere in that range, they uh, they don't have a system for that. It's it's all through the owner. The owner has relationships, so on and so forth. Okay. So let's finish up with a couple things. Uh, one would be give uh, give maybe three tips to those out there looking for companies on questions to ask or things to be looking at and saying, oh, that could be an opportunity. And then let's finish up finally with, uh, you know, your your mission to get other operators to uh, that you can partner with. Yeah, great question. So thinking about businesses that have what I call nice, shiny object, they can be a great opportunity. Um, they've been established longer than 10 years. They have a reputation. Um, I don't I don't really mess around with businesses that have one great year and that's what they're using to sell. Um, so if you're out looking to buy a business and someone's selling you on that one year, I would be very cautious. Uh, candidly, a lot of those one year, you know, businesses, they get a lot of attention and people will say, you know, hey, I've got an LOI or this person's interested or my competitor wants to buy me or so on and so forth. Don't get distracted by that. Play a long term relationship. Um, often things come back around. And and then the another thing that I would say is look at what the management team looks like right now um, and understand their capabilities. Figure out what holes you would fill first. Um, if you're producing something to a customer that has um, a primo kind of tag or a price point for them, good, nice margins, I would definitely encourage you to be thinking about quality control and, and what that's looked like, who's responsible for that. If it's part of the ownership, um, that's always kind of a red flag for me. Uh, if the owner is the only one that can ensure quality, um, that that's always tough. And so be conscientious of that. How easily replaceable is that? And then thirdly is, um, you know, what does the sales cycle look like? Um, if the business is you know, really heavy on one time a year sales, or there's a lot of sales relationships concentration. I think that's a big part. Those are very rudimentary, but I think can be easily overlooked when you're getting excited about buying a business or um, you look at something you've been waiting on for a while and it comes around. Um, it can be easy to, um, yeah, just get too excited and too overzealous about the deal. So that would be my okay. main points. All right. So let's talk about your operator project. Yeah. So candidly, when we got started, the model was um, I love rolling up my sleeves and getting involved in these businesses. And so the model was that we were going to buy Malcolm would step in and run the business for six months and then transition to an owner, either internal hire or internal and external hire, um, you know, raising somebody up um, to be able to go run the deal that's been around for a while, giving them some equity, giving them an opportunity to take some ownership. Um, candidly, I find that we are um, we are struggling to get an operator in soon enough. And so um, either that's, you know, byproduct of me or just the way that the business is previously structured, that what we're looking to do is bring on somebody to go ahead of the deal that we find, work within Sincera Growth Partners and be a part of what we're doing, understand the culture, understand a philosophy about long-term investments and how we think through this and that not all things are a sprint and we're not trying to flip these deals, but we really want to build businesses for the next generation that ultimately um, they can come in in the ownership on the deal that we just purchased afterwards. So they get to participate, they get to be an owner operator and they're on for a few 
you know, years after that to be able to go run this business. So we're always looking for folks um, that want to be in Texas, want to run a business in Texas and want to have a lot of autonomy and ability to uh, run these businesses for the next generation. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Some great tips, some great insights, a little different than what you hear from most people when they talk about what they uh, uh, desire in a business or don't desire. So uh, tell people how to get hold of you. Yeah, so you can get a hold of us uh Sitsera Growth Partners website sitsera.com spelled T S E T S E R R A. You can shoot us an email on there info at sitsera.com or give us a call 512-775-6589. Love to be able to chat. Love to be able to answer any questions and always always an open door. Okay. Well, Malcolm, so thank you so much for being here. We really really appreciate it and uh I look forward to continuing our conversations later. Thanks, John.